Well, praise the Lord, um, and welcome to discipleship class number 22. And uh, obviously, I was not here last week. It's um, good to be back with you, though. And uh, my wife and I were at a minister's conference in uh, Texas with, uh, out at Eagle Mountain International Church with Brother Kenneth Copeland and a whole bunch of other folks. And uh, so we are, uh, I told the congregation Sunday morning when I got back, I said, man, to say I am jazzed is an understatement. So um, been drinking from the Lord's fire hose. It was, uh, <laughs> it was wall-to-wall word. Y'all think this class is long? This class is a little less than two hours. We, we were in eight, eight and a half hours a day. Of, uh, of the word, uh, but it was wonderful, amen, and thankful. And aren't you glad that, for two things, number one, um, your spirit and, and soul absorbs things that your meat computer may not necessarily remember, but the Holy Spirit said, uh, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring back to our remembrance the things that he uh, teaches us and things that we hear uh, from him. And I hope you've experienced this, but if uh, you haven't, I pray that you do soon. You know, maybe you're in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden you hear yourself saying things that you didn't know you knew. Amen. <laughs> well, that's one of two things happening. One, the Holy Spirit speaking through you uh, and revealing things to you and the person you're speaking to. Or he's bringing back to your remembrance something that you heard maybe when you were younger uh, that you don't instantly recall with your brain. Uh, but the Holy Spirit bringing it back to your remembrance. And so that's a, that's a glorious thing. Amen. Well, it's great to see all of you. I, I pray that all of you are well. And um, welcome those of you who are watching online. I think, um, I'm trying to remember the totals, but we had 80-something people that were with us during class number 21 online. And so uh, a lot of those people are local. Some of those folks are in other parts of the country and then even other parts of the world. And so... So welcome, wherever you may be uh, joining us uh, this evening. And we are believing God with you and for you as you are believing uh, with us here in the room. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, what a beautiful opportunity we have now before us, Lord, to just settle in a comfortable place and be in your presence, to be with your Holy Spirit, to be with your people, Father, and to be with your Word. Your Word is living and powerful. We know that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, and we know that He is here among us in spirit. And Lord, He's in us, and He's revealing truth to us by Your Spirit. And so, Father, thank You tonight for uh, the uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of You, Lord, that we're not relying upon our own intellectual ability to understand supernatural and eternal things, but Father, we're understanding them tonight by faith, and we're receiving them uh, as Your words, Lord, spoken to us uh, from You. And Lord, I thank You that we receive those words with meekness tonight, And Lord, that they not only change us, but that they become a part of us tonight, Lord, that they literally alter our our very essence of life as as we move forward from this place. Lord, thank you for the men and women that are benefiting uh, from these classes, but Lord, thank you also for other people uh, that these who are participating will effectively and are effectively ministering to. Thank you for a great night together. We ask you for revelation from your word by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. All right, so let me stick the title slide back up again. This is class number 22, and again, we took a week off, so we'll do a little bit of review uh, as we move into the new material for tonight. And this is actually part three of what we're calling likeness and image, likeness and image. And if you're new to the class, we'll try to bring you up to speed uh, as best we can. 
and then uh, move on with some of the things that we're going to talk about. When we first introduced this section, we, um, we talked some about our emotions, and we, we felt led to do that. And, and I said when we did it that maybe when we get to the class that covers emotions that we'll kind of skip through that part, but I'm not feeling led that that's what we're going to do. So uh, I, there's some of that that I will not repeat. Some of it we'll, we'll touch back into and, um, and move forward from there. So um, let's do this. We've been answering this question. It's a very important question. Uh, what is man? What is man? And the first thing that we covered is that man is a God-class being. The second thing that we covered is that man is a spirit being. Then the third thing that we covered is that man is the legal authority on earth. And now we're on answer number four out of five. There's one more after this one. And that is that man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. So let me, uh, if I could, just um, real quick like, for those of you who are new uh, to the class, but also you know, for all of our sakes, just to kind of review a little bit. We said that the sweet spot of life is when we know our purpose, when we understand why God created us and why He chose for us to live during this period. You know, none of us were alive in the 1800s, <laughs> 1700s, and none of us, should Jesus tarry His return to the earth, will be around in the 21 or the 2200s. So we are who we are, we are when we are on purpose, and we're here on assignment. And the Bible says it's an assignment that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That He gave you and me purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. So this adds such context for our lives. And remember what we've said, there can be no meaning in life without context. And so to understand why we are is such an important uh, aspect of our growth and development. A lot of people on earth are clueless about that. You even hear people instinctively, intuitively say things, especially let's say someone has a close brush with death, and you'll hear them sometimes say things like, there must be a reason for me to still be here. Anybody ever felt that way? <laughs> you know, must, must be a reason for me to still be here. You are exactly right. There has always been a reason for you to be here. And so understanding that is, is such an, an important um, thing for us. But we said before we can ever answer the question why we are, we got to know who we are. Identity unlocks destiny. And that's, again, an important truth that we're about to you know, segue into in our time together, our identity in Christ and who we are. But we said there's one more question that we've got to answer before we can answer the identity question, and that's the origin question. That's what we are. So the three questions, what is man or what am I? Uh, who is man? Who am I? And then why is man? Why am I? Those three questions are, are so critical for us to, to know the answers to. And, and when I say know the answers to, I'm not talking about, you know, people's philosophy or, or, you know, theories or good ideas. I'm talking about the truth from our Creator Father, amen, uh, what He has to say about what you are, who you are, and why you are. And, and the reason we got to know what we are before we can understand who we are is because our identity is so much more than anything any of us have ever dared to, to imagine or believe. And the reason we've got to know, one of the reasons, I guess, that we've got to understand who we are in order to know why we are is because our purpose is so much grander. It's so much higher 
than, uh, than anything we would dare to believe. So origin, identity, and purpose. And so that's the answers that we've unraveled from the Word of God. Uh, spent several classes now uh, on this. And so now we come to this number four, man's being created in the image and likeness of God. And what we've said about that is because we are created in God's image and God's likeness, we possess certain abilities, certain characteristics, certain attributes, things that we can do and do on a level that no other created thing can do other than God, which God has not created. God's always been and always will be. Um, and so these characteristics, these abilities, these attributes are very, very powerful. We've, we've said that they are dynamic and that they are interactive, meaning <laughs> they're underlying causes of change. They're always at work and they work together with one another. And so let's throw that list as we've covered it so far uh, up on the screen. We said that because we are created in the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. We have the ability to agree. We have the ability to believe. We have the ability to experience and express emotions. And then number five, we have the ability to speak. Okay? And so we've covered a lot of ground uh, already on these, and I'm not going to try to go back and, uh, and cover all of that. But I do want us tonight to, uh, to jump into experience and express emotions. And the Holy Spirit's prompted me a couple of times, so let me, let me go ahead and, uh, and, and say this. Again, review for a lot of us, maybe new information for some of the ones who are newer to the class. To be created in the image and likeness of God means that we were created by God to look the way He looks, but also it means that we were created by God to function the way He functions, to look the way God looks and to function the way God functions. He created you to bear His image in this created realm, to reflect the very image of God. This is why God forbids uh, Himself to be uh, portrayed in uh, wood or stone or metal uh, some type of, of, of statue uh, or idol, you know, to, to be worshipped, even if it's an idol or statue of God himself, because he is a living God. Uh, he will not be uh, portrayed as a static or stationary God. Amen. And so he created you and me to carry his image in the created realm. When we get over into the portion about our salvation and, and these things, what we'll see is that for too long before we were born again, we carried the image of a fallen man. But now we have the opportunity to once again carry the image of God in this created realm. So to look the way God looks, to function the way he, God functions. And so we see that God thinks. Amen. We see that, that God agrees. The Bible is very specific. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always agreed with one another in perfect harmony. We see that God believes. So we have the ability and the capacity to do these things because the God who created us to look the way He looks and to function the way He functions had all of these characteristics, all of these abilities first. Now, one last thing, and I know I, I said I was going to do a little more review tonight, so I, I need to just get on with that and quit apologizing for it. Remember now, if you're interested in change and transformation and things being different and better in your life, 
because these things are dynamic and interactive and because they're always at work and because they're underlying forces and agents of change, these are areas where you need to focus your, your efforts and your attention. Um, so, for example, if how you think never changes and as you think, so are you, you follow what I'm saying here? So, so a better life begins with better thinking. I make that statement all the time, and, and people say, no, no, a better life begins with Jesus. Well, yes and no. A better life begins with better thinking because if you think Jesus is a fake, fraud, phony, <laughs> you're going to reject him. Amen. So a better life begins with, with better thinking. And then how can our life be any better than it is right now if we keep thinking the same way we've always thought, if we keep agreeing with the things and the lies the devil's always try to tell us, if, if, if what we believe never changes. But the other side of that coin is if we let the Holy Spirit help us with better thoughts and thinking, uh, agreeing with right things, disagreeing with wrong things, you know, changing what we believe, increasing in our faith. Remember, fear is your ability to believe working against you. And if we break free from fear and move over into faith, if we break free from regret and move over into hope, if we break free from selfishness and move over into love, these are things that really, really make an impact and a noticeable, immediate, rapid improvement in our lives. And so I said that these things kind of hide in plain sight. In other words, every human being thinks, agrees, believes, experiences, expresses emotions, and speaks. The challenge, though, is that we, we rarely, if ever, consider how powerful and how influential these things are when it comes to our life reality. Remember, your uh, behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true, true about yourself isn't true. So you can be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can be just as free from sin as Jesus. But if you still think like a slave, if you still think like a sinner your life reality is going to look more like a slave and a sinner than the born-again righteous man or woman of God, free from sin, man or woman of God that you actually are. All right. Now, let's talk some more tonight then about our ability to experience and express emotions. Because once again, God, before He ever created the first human being, is an emotional being. God is an emotional God. We have the ability to experience and express the full spectrum of emotions. Let me say it another way. Simple. Let me simplify it, okay? You can have joy tonight because God is a God of joy. You can express anger tonight because before God ever created the first human being who got angry, God has the ability and the capacity to get angry. So the, the entire emotional spectrum that we're able to experience and express in our lives resides in God and he created us to uh, look like he looks and to function the way he functions. Let me, I think you got it already, but let me just see if I can say it one more way. All right. Uh, we have a right hand and a left hand, four fingers and a thumb on each, because the God who created us has a right hand and a left hand, four fingers and a thumb on each. Okay. You have the ability to get angry. You have the ability to have peace. You have the ability to experience joy. Uh, and because God in the same way that he has two hands with four fingers and a thumb on each, has that same emotional uh, capacity. Amen? Okay. So, we have the ability to experience and express emotions because we were created in the image and likeness of God. 
Emotions have a powerful influence over our lives and choices. And just like all these other characteristics and attributes, they can either be your best friend or your worst enemy, right? Your thinking and, and what you believe and what you agree with, all of these things can either work powerfully for your benefit and for your good, or they can work powerfully against you for your harm and for your detriment. That's why we've got to learn how to manage these things. This is how we, this, I'm going to say it again, this is why we've got to learn how to manage these things. So much of what we hear, and I'm not trying to bash anybody, just please know my heart when I say this, but so much of what we hear coming when we come to church is people talking to us about our behavior and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And, and I listen, the Bible's got a lot to say about our conduct, a lot to say about our, about our behavior. When's the last time you've heard a good sermon, though, on, on uh, what you agree with, uh, what the Bible has to say about your emotions? And so we, we tend to put so much emphasis on trying to do better and do right and be good and do good. And, and, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but remember... God said, your ways aren't my ways because your thoughts aren't my thoughts. And, and when we realize that our behavior is an extension of, of the underlying thinking, how many times have we tried to change outward behavior without changing the underlying thinking that drives that outward behavior? And we fight and we struggle and we white knuckle it and we grit our teeth and we willpower and willpower and willpower until we can't willpower anymore and we revert right back to the old way of, of doing. So the outward behavior change will only be temporary unless the underlying thinking uh, is changed first. So you know, some say, well, these are, these are for the psychologist and these are for the therapist. And the, No, I'm, I, those men and women have their place. But the Bible has a lot to say about these things that you do not have to have a Ph.D. to understand, to apply to your own life, to, to, to model for other people, and also uh, you know, teach and counsel and minister these truths to others as well. All right. So emotions have a powerful influence over our lives and choices. And that's one of the things that I want to try to help you see tonight is how emotions affect our choices People tend to care more about the way a thing or person makes them feel than the substance of that thing or person. I mean, you put it like that, it's, it's kind of sad, but I think every one of us can relate to that. You know, we tend to care more about the way a thing or a person makes us feel than the substance of that thing or person. Many people are ruled more by their feelings than anything else. I don't know the number. I, I know that the folks that come to this class are, are in an, an elite category of commitment and discipleship is an uncommon commitment. But I'm just curious. I wonder, I wonder how many people would have been and planned on being here, but you know, somewhere around 4 o'clock they just decided they didn't feel like it. You see? I mean, how many people say on Saturday night, we're getting up and going to church on Sunday morning, but come Sunday morning, they don't feel like going and tell themselves they'll go next week. So we can't underestimate, we can't uh, underestimate how, you know, feelings, if we're not careful, will become our master. And this is not what God intended at all. Satan wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. 
Satan wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. Now, Satan cannot mess up your life or my life without our cooperation. It's very important for you to understand. He will try to make you think that he can do it without your cooperation, but he is lying to you. He has to have our cooperation. So this is why he tries to manipulate us and deceive us and why Jesus identified him as the father of lies. That means two things, at least, that lying originated with him in the same way that George Washington is considered the father of this country. Okay, I don't know if that's, <laughs> but you understand what I mean. It originated with him. But it also means that he's trying to impregnate your mind with his thoughts. And when we get to the section on renewing the mind, we'll look at this in greater detail. But we see, we see it in Scripture where when people give place to the devil, the devil is able to put thoughts in their minds. He put it in the mind of Judas to betray Jesus. Well, that's because J Judas entertained that thought. So in the same way that the male seed uh, tries to impregnate the female egg, the longer the seed uh, lingers around the egg, the higher the probability of conception. And notice we use these same terminology, right, with our thoughts and thinking as we do uh, with physical uh, impregnation. And so again, the longer the devil can keep certain thoughts in our minds, the higher the probability that we will adapt those thoughts as our own. And one of the main strategies of the devil is to try and put thoughts in your mind and convince you that you came up with that thought yourself, or even worse, that God is the one who gave you that thought. Okay. So again, Satan wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. The enemy, Satan, wants you to believe, and I, man, I'm, I want to say this 12 times. I'm not going to do that to you, though, but just hear me, please. We're, we're exposing the enemy. We're shining light into areas where he loves darkness, okay? The enemy, Satan, wants you to believe that you are at the mercy of your emotions and there is nothing you can do to control or manage them. He is a liar. God created you as an emotional being for your emotions to serve you, not for you to serve them. God never meant for you to be his slave or anybody else's slave or anything else's slave. God did not create us to be slaves. He did not create us to be servants. He created us to be sons and daughters. Jesus is our example during this time period of, of, of our existence, this age, if you will, that God has ordained. We are on this earth. We are in this world. We are not of this world. We are sons and daughters of God. And just like Jesus was the son of God, as a son he chose to serve. And as sons and daughters of God, we choose to serve our Father in the family business. Amen. But God did not create you to be at the mercy of any created thing. He created you to have dominion over created things. Nor did He create you to be the slave to your own flesh, the lust of the flesh, sin. 
And he did not create you to be subservient to or a slave to your emotions. Emotions are meant to serve you. They're meant to bless you. They're meant to benefit you. But just like everything else on this list of powerful characteristics and attributes, Satan is trying to use what you are against you. You are an emotional being, created in the image and likeness of an emotional God. And Satan knows that if he can deceive you and me by manipulating our thoughts that control and, and produce our emotions, he has gone a long way towards uh, ruining and, and manipulating our lives. Amen or oh me? All right, now, here is a very important statement, okay? I would encourage you to write it down. Thoughts fuel the emotions that influence our actions. Thoughts, thinking, fuel the emotions that influence our actions, okay? Now, I've had people get upset with me about this, and you don't listen. <clears throat> Two things. Number one, you do not have to believe me when I tell you this, okay? <laughs> I can't make you believe it, all right? But what I am asking you is to at least give the Word of God and what I'm presenting to you about your thinking and your emotions and this powerful connection between the two at least the same amount of consideration that you give whatever else it is that you believe. And then I'm asking you to taste and see. In other words, I'm, I'm asking you to, to try and see if this is not exactly as I'm telling you that it is. Okay? Uh, in other words, walk it out. Begin to practice it and see what different results you would get from this. Okay? But here it is. Are you ready? All emotions. You say, you, say you, you do mean most, right, instead of all. No, I mean all. All emotions are thought-driven. All emotions are thought-driven. What does that mean? That means anger and anxiety are driven by our thoughts. And it also means peace and joy are driven by our thoughts. Are you hearing me? Oh, Pastor Mark, you don't understand. No, no, let, 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 just listen to me now. Just listen to me, please. Okay. Satan wants to manipulate your thoughts in an effort to rob you of your joy and your peace. You've got to know this. The Bible says that if we are ignorant of his strategies, it gives him an advantage. We've got to understand what it is the devil's trying to do how it is that he goes about it, and why he tries to do and go about the things the way he tries to do and go about them, okay? So what we see, and I don't have the whole verses. I'll just give these to you. You can jot them down look them up later. But Nehemiah from the Old Testament, chapter 8 and verse 10, declares the joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 declares the peace of God is what guards your heart. It guards your heart. So if you are an enemy trying to manipulate, dominate, overthrow, steal, kill, and destroy, whatever, you know, a city, a person, something that's fortified, being protected, in order to take over, if there was a way to weaken the resistance, if there was a way to, 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 to break down the defenses, well, when it comes to you personally, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if the devil can, can somehow manipulate your thoughts in a way to rob you of your joy, he has effectively weakened you spiritually. If he can use thoughts and circumstances and situations, stress and worry and drama and uh, you know, anxious thoughts, to, to steal your peace and replace it with anxiety. He's just weakened you and broken down the defenses that guard your heart. Are you seeing the strategy of the devil here? Okay. So, praise God, let me, I want to, so I, this is the part that I said I wasn't going to say, but I just I don't know why I said I wasn't going to say it because I keep saying it here. Anybody remember this? I've, I've I told I told this little scenario here. Um, this will help make the point. All right. Before I tell you the story, let's remember this. Okay. Life. I'm giving you some simple, broad, sweeping statements tonight, but these are this is basic life understanding. Basic life understanding. Remember. People are trying to resolve advanced life problems without basic life understanding. Basic life understanding. Life is choice driven. Life is choice driven. In other words, it's a series of choices that you can trace back to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. But a series of choices all the way up to the choice that you made to get on a van, get in your car, get a shower, grab a quick bite of supper, decide like me you're going to eat supper later, right? Made some choices, here we are. And then <laughs> you can choose to pay attention. To what, you know, there's all kinds of little subsets of choices even after we make the big choices, so forth and so on. Okay? Life is choice-driven. That's why it must be spirit-led. You've got to let the Lord help you make the right choices. Okay, so life is choice driven, therefore it must be spirit led. That's a broad sweeping statement, right? And you probably heard the approach to life and to even addiction recovery, do the next right thing. Okay. But have you ever stopped to consider sometimes why it's so hard to do the next right thing? It's because emotions are involved in our choices. Emotions are involved in our choices. I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't know what Jesus has to say about forgiving others. And that when you forgive others, you're saying, I'm dropping the charges against you, but you're the one that gets set free. 
But how many of God's people who know exactly what God says about forgiving others refuse, they do not choose, they refuse to forgive. They hold on to their right to be offended. It's a choice. Why is it so hard sometimes to forgive? Because there's emotions involved. Am I right about it? There's emotions involved. And so you talk to somebody who's not emotionally involved in the situation, they're like, dude, you just need to forgive her. Man, you just need, you just need to forgive him. You, you, just need, you know, I understand they did you wrong, but man, you're like, how can you say it? It's like, just, you, you need to forgive them? See, they're not emotionally connected in all of that. There's on the outside looking in. They're like, yeah, man, that's, that's, I'm praying for you, man. That's a hard thing they did. I can't believe they treated you that way. can't believe they said that to you. can't believe they, you know. But hey, forgive them and move on. On the surface, it's so easy, but what makes it seem so hard, seem so hard, still not hard, but seems hard because of the emotions, the feelings, right? Yeah. I'm sure I'm the only person listening to me right now that's ever said something in an emotional moment that you wish you could take back. <laughs> no, we've all done that, right? How about made a financial decision in an emotional moment? I mean, that is such an issue I don't know if it's in every state, but in the state of Alabama, we now have on, on major purchases something called a three-day right of refusal. Meaning what? Meaning you've got three days to change your mind because sometimes people enter into contracts and make financial commitments in, the mo in an emotional moment that, you know, after they sleep on it a night or two, they're like, oh, why did I do that? You know. So life is choice-driven, it must be spirit-led, but instead of it being spirit-led for a lot of people, it's, it's emotionally dominated, right? See, if we're, if we're going to make wise financial decisions, we've got to get emotions to the best of our ability out of that. I'm sure nobody in this room or nobody listening to me right now, but you probably know somebody who let their emotions cost them a really good job. Well, I don't know, that boss thing, he ain't going to talk to me that way. I'm just out of here. Well, then you're like, okay, now what you going to do, you know? And I'm not saying the boss should have talked to you ugly. But, man, you got home, you're like, oh, man, I wish I'd have just let that roll off my back like water off a duck and kept working, right? Because that was a good job. They were paying me well. So, again, do you see how Satan is trying to ruin your relationships, ruin your finances, ruin your peace, steal your peace? Now, notice now we got mad, smarted off to the boss, got fired. Now we're laying up awake at, awake at night, anxious, depressed. How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to, you know, it's just an emotional snowball now. I define desperation as a willingness to consider options you were not previously willing to consider. Right? See, the, the devil wants you desperate. Because again, when you're desperate, you're in an emotional state where you will consider doing things that were you not in that emotionally desperate, physically seemingly desperate place, you'd, you'd have never done it. So em, emotional people... Or we could say it this way, desperately, you know, people who are in that point of desperation, desperate people um, can commit themselves to a 12-month recovery program, right? Because we, you know, we, we, knew, we knew three years ago we needed a program, but you know, now we're desperate. So now we're considering options that we wouldn't previously consider, all right? But 
Desperate people also take their own lives. Desperate people rob banks. You, are you following what I'm saying? So life is choice-driven, must be spirit-led, and, and Satan knows that he can't mess up your life without your cooperation, so he tries to manipulate you emotionally so that you'll make decisions, right, that you wouldn't otherwise make. Amen? All right, now, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff here. Let me, so here's the, I, I may come back to that. Just help me with that Holy Spirit. If you want me to do that again, I'll do it. But let me, let me just stay focused right here for a moment, all right? Um, well, there's a section here, and we could spend 45 minutes on this and, not, and still not cover it all, and it's important. I'm not trying to dismiss it, but I'm, I'm going to skip through maybe most all of this, but he, let me just at least say this much about it, okay? Because God is an emotional being who created you and His likeness and image is an emotional being, I want you to know and embrace tonight that He is emotionally connected to you. God is emotionally connected to you. A lot of people think God is, is like, you know, mad or indifferent or really could care less. That, my friend, that is not true. Do you, do you have, and I, I hope this is the case, and, I, and I'm, you know, not rubbing salt in, in somebody's, you know, uh, life by saying what I'm about to say, but do you understand what it means to be emotionally connected to another person? I mean, I, there's a lot of folks in my life that I'm emotionally connected to. My wife's sitting back there. I'm emotionally connected to her. That's, that is powerful. Amen. 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 And so your creator father, he is em emotionally connected to you. You can make him smile. You can make him laugh. You can make him like get up and stand up and like point to you. Like, did y'all see what he just did? You know, with smile on his face. But, but you also have the capacity to, um, to grieve him, to make him sad. To break his heart. And I, I think it helps us if we, if we understand it that way. We talked a little bit in a, in a, in a class the other, uh, the other morning about, you know, this idea of, of God's great desire for us and the grief that he has when we disappoint him. It's, it's, it, have you ever, I, again, if you're listening to me, it's, you have been disappointed by other people. And, and the disappointment is even more uh, difficult to deal with when you're emotionally connected to someone who disappoints you. Well, praise God. Um, <clears throat> here's a, here's a, a, a powerful um, amen. Let's see. All right, Dan. I got it. We're having technical difficulties on the control panel tonight, so let me try to start over here. All right, so what's happening is <laughs> what's on this screen and what's on that screen and what's on that screen is not in sync, so let me get this resynced here. All right, there's too much here for us to, to go through. And, and hey, for those of you who watched Class 21 and wondering what in the world why, where did all the overlays go? This is still residue from that um, issue. And so I really thought we had it corrected, but uh, let's see if we did. Mm. All right, that's odd. 
What do you see in 2 Corinthians 6 and 12? Okay, all right. <laughs> That's not what it says right here. <laughs> I have the mind of Christ. I can translate all of this as I go. All right, I guess got to stay a certain number ahead as I fly the plane here. Okay, all right. Here's a really important verse uh, that relates to all of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. Um, God says you, well, it's the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. He says you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, <clears throat> affections in this context, see, that's not, praise God. All right, I'll get this figured out here in a minute. There we go. All right. That is so strange. Amen. All right. See, if I was more professional, y'all never even know. I'd just adjust it like lightning fast mind and keep going here, but it's like i got to be amazed by it. So, all right. I have no idea how it's doing it because these things are supposed to be like synced together and why I'm changing it here and it's different there. That is a new one. But anyway... Everybody good? Yes. Anybody told you that you're loved today? No. You know, um, my prayer for you is that you never live another day on planet Earth without being loved. Amen. Mm-hmm. It's important. God loves you. He always has. Some of you maybe haven't been aware of the love that He's always had for you. He loved you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Amen. It's very, very important that we understand the, the love of God and that love being expressed by him through other people to you. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. A beautiful, beautiful thing. All right. So affections. He says you're not limited or restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Um, And affections is talking about desire plus emotion. Have you figured out by now that's a very powerful combination in our lives when we, when we really desire something and emotions are involved, okay? I mean, you know, passion, you know, th- things of, of this nature. I'm not trying to, I know we're mixed company here, but, you, you know, th- these can be some of the most beautiful, wonderful things in life, but they can also be very painful and very destructive, all right? So I have, based on this verse, I have a sign in my office and it says this. It says, God is not holding me back and the devil can't. I'm limited by my own affections. I'm limited by my own affections. So this means desire with, a, with, with emotion. Uh, in other words, I don't want it to just sound like if you only wanted it bad enough, but when you really, how about let's go all the way back to what Jesus said. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will, will be filled. It, it's not enough for us to just casually, you know, when we have a little time on the side, you know, to go after God. But when we desire Him, uh, you know, and this may be an odd way of saying it, but like, for, let's say something comes up and for whatever reason uh, you can't come to class or you can't go to church. And you're like bummed out about it. You know, it's like, man, I really wanted to be there. That's what we're talking about, where we desire something, but our emotions are also involved in it. And so when we talk about taking the limits off of our lives, there are a lot of people who feel so limited. They feel, feel so held back. They feel so restricted. 
But, but what the Apostle Paul is saying here is like, look, I'm not restricting you. I'm not limiting you. And God is certainly not restricting you or limiting you. Um, you're restricted or limited by your own affections. I feel like I need to talk some more about that. But Jesus said it this way, okay? He said... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Read that verse and knew, knew about that verse for years and years and years. But one simple question from the Holy Spirit completely changed my life where that verse is concerned. And here's the question. Are you ready? Who decides what you treasure? You decide that. You decide so he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I always thought of that like, okay, you know, I really treasure my wife. I really treasure my children. I really treasure them. And so my heart is with them. I may travel, you know, go overseas or whatever. But, man, my heart's back home. It's always good. And certainly that's a part of it. But when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, whatever you make a priority in your life, whatever you choose to treasure, even if your heart, even if your affections, even if you're not emotionally connected to that in the moment, right? I may be going out on a limb here, but I, I believe there's at least, you know, let's say it this way, there's more than one person in this room tonight. You came to discipleship class the first time, not really sure about it, okay? But now it's become something you desire with emotion, is that, is that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to use something that's just right here immediate to make this point. Now notice, because you have desire with emotion for something that God has, has opened up a door for you to participate in and be a part of, notice now how it's, it's opened up new horizons for you. It's, it's, you can see things that you couldn't see before. You, 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 praise God, the limits the perceived limits that things that you didn't think were possible, things that you didn't think you could do, things that you thought had passed you by. I'm talking to people in this room, and, and that's one of the things that this, this class does. It attracts people who have a desire for or even feel called to ministry in their lives. There, there's, a, there's a large portion of people in this room, men and women, who, you know, you, you, you have this, and watch it online. There's something in you that's like, man, you know, I don't. But see, the devil's t telling you, oh, man, that, those years have passed you by. That opportunity, that, that ship's already sailed, dude. There's too much water under the bridge, blah, blah, blah. But now notice the desire with affection, the, the desire with emotion, also known as affection, it's all of a sudden what seemed impossible before now seems possible. It seems within reach. What seemed out of reach now, it's like, okay, it's back on now, right? I'm trying to help you connect with, with the power of this verse right here. So, See, we think, well, you know, this person's holding me back. This, this denomination's holding me back. The, this organization says I can't. Or how about this? Because of my race, you know, because I'm not the right color or I'm not the right this or I'm not the right that. All those, I wish I could tell you that those uh, limitations and restrictions weren't still being imposed by some churches, by some denominations, by some people's minds, right? Uh, and the devil will try to feed that lie to you because you're a woman, because you're this, because you're that, because you're a former addict, because you've been divorced, because you've been arrested, because you've got illegal. You know, all these things the devil tells you, right? These, these are the restrictions. These are the things holding you back. And God's like, I'm not holding you back. 
right? And Paul says, I'm not holding you back. Only thing holding you back is your own affections. What you've decided to set your heart upon, what you've decided to treasure, what you've decided to make the most important thing, the most important relationship, the most important pursuit in your life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's talk a little bit about anger tonight because anger is another one of those emotions. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. If you look closely at this verse, it's like other verses that we misunderstand um, because of the way it's worded or because of the way it's translated. Do you realize that this verse is telling you to be angry? <laughs> See, we, we think anger is, is bad. It's wrong to be angry. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to be angry. Anger has its place. But when we're angry, we're very close. We're very close to an opportunity to sin. Okay. And, and God knows that. Because anger is, is one of the most powerful emotions. And it's very easy, if we're not careful, for our anger to go too far, and now the anger has turned into something other than what anger was meant to produce and be in our lives. You do realize that there are certain things that should make us angry. There are certain things that should affect us and impact us emotionally. There are things that, that we should say, you know what, that's an injustice. Something needs to be done about that. It should make us angry that there are billions of people on planet Earth who've never heard the name of Jesus a single time. And that anger should inspire us and motivate us to do something about that. Are you following what I'm saying here? So when he says be angry and, and do not sin, you know, we, we should never think it's okay for people to be abused or taken advantage of. But remember, vengeance belongs to God. So we have to be careful. You know, we get angry. Now we're ready to uh, get even and get back or, or, or take someone else's offense and, and you know, consider it a just cause now that we're going to set the scales of justice right on behalf of someone else. Again, all of these things, if we're not careful, the devil will manipulate in our lives and try to use as a negative against us. I'm not going to break down all these words, but angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. He's talking about um, the, the wrath here is a version of, of anger where we just kind of stew on things. You understand what I mean by that? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a version of anger where things are, are just kind of simmering beneath the surface that we tend to bottle up over time and then, you know, will eventually boil over if, if left undealt with, unresolved issues, what have you, um, in our lives. The last thing, and this is not just as it applies to anger, but is a good practice to develop in every area of our lives, and that is to give no place to the devil. It's very easy when we're angry to give place to thoughts from the devil, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of bitterness, thoughts of anger, thoughts of unforgiveness, thoughts of 
uh, what we're going to say to them, to give them a peace of my mind, you know. And, and you know, most of the time, all those thoughts and, and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I know I'm not the only one, but, you know, I, I have been given a gift by God to communicate. And, uh, you know, whoo, man, some of the uh, comebacks and some of the smart remarks that, uh, that can, you know, be formed in my mind, you know, ways, uh, see, again, it's not wrong to be angry. It is wrong to be angry in sin, and it is wrong to stew on things and leave issues unresolved in our lives, which equates to our giving place, opening up a door for the devil in our lives. Now, let's talk for a minute about anger. And I'm going to say some things about anger that may on the surface not seem exactly right because I want you to see it in a way that maybe you've never seen it or thought of it before. But there's something about anger that feels good. Stay with me now. There's something about anger that feels good. And even in the moment anger can feel like the right thing to do because anger is a powerful anesthetic. You need to know this about the way God created you and wired you. Anger is a powerful anesthetic. I'm going to say that another way, okay? Your brain rewards anger. Your brain rewards anger. Anger triggers the release of adrenaline and dopamine in our brains. It, it triggers the release and it, and it, it tri- I'm sorry, it triggers the release of, of adrenaline and dopamine re- reward receptors, easy for me to say, in the brain, causing a sensation. Listen to me now. It causes a sensation on the same spectrum as cocaine or methamphetamine. Same spectrum, not as powerful, but it is on the same spectrum. So anger then is a way to temporarily feel powerful in situations where you feel weak or insecure. I'm just looking straight at my notes, okay? So everybody staying with me? (laughs) Anger is a way to temporarily feel powerful in situations where you feel weak or insecure. Anger can also cause you to briefly feel in control of situations that you actually have no control over. (coughs) Amen or oh me? Yes, no, maybe. People who are raised in violent or chaotic environments often have been conditioned to feel a perverted but familiar sense of comfort from anger. Here would be a a classic scenario of what I'm talking about. Seven-year-old boy whose mom and dad are divorced Mom has custody, she remarries an alcoholic abuser who beats on his mama. He feels very weak and very powerless. And so in his room with hot tears running down his face, he stews in anger, talking about what he's going to do one day when he's able. Are you following what I'm saying? 
to rip that man's head off of his shoulders and oh you follow what I'm saying okay so notice now in the moment he's compensating with anger because he feels so insecure and so powerless but in that moment anger makes him feel powerful anger gives him a sense of control and this develops into again a perverted but familiar sense of comfort I've asked this question and I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight, but I've done this many, many times over many, many years to large groups of people. I'll ask them this simple question. Is there anyone in the room who is angry and doesn't know why? And I'm, again, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I've been doing this long enough to know that there are at least a few people in this room tonight. You are so angry and you don't know why. I have counseled over the years many people, both women and men, for some reason it, it tends to um, present more in men than in women, but I've seen it in, in both uh, males and females. Um, people that I would even classify as a rageaholic. And a lot of times... I know not everyone in here understands some of the curriculum that we use at the foundry, but when you look at the faster scale and you see where um, anger and emotions play such a part in a predictable relapse pattern, what we subconsciously do is we say, I'm not going to go back to drugs and so we begin to self-medicate with stress and anger, reliving situations in our mind. Um, I'm not trying to be uh, offensive or, or sexist. I've worked with residential recovery programs for many, many, many years. Um, my primary uh, assignment is at the Foundry Ministries, but I'll, I'll be at Love Lady Center Friday morning. I, I've, I've worked with a lot of programs over um, the years, honored to, trained people that work in those programs. And one of the things that we see predominantly, especially, it, it happens with the men, but what we see with women are, are women who... <laughs> <laughs> Y'all gonna love me, ladies, who create drama. It's always about drama. Now, listen, I know, I know none of y'all, okay, right? Create drama. Why? Why, do you, why would you do something like that? Why would you stir everybody up like that? Why would you say something like that? Why would you act? See, listen to me now. They're actually taking a shot of drama. In other words, their bodies are craving their former drug of choice, and they've already decided by willpower or whatever, I'm not going back there. And, and so they actually will self-medicate with anger. Self-medicate by stirring up uh, a hornet's nest around them by playing the victim card. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That, I'm trying to help you see all the different ways that emotions, and if I'm offending you, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm just trying to help you see this. And it's amazing too when all of a sudden you begin to see, okay, anger is a learned behavior. 
Anger is something that I became addicted to before I ever found something stronger than anger to make me feel powerful, to make me uh, feel in control, to make me, you know, something that I could use to push the pause button, so to speak, on uh, the, the chaos in, in my life. You're getting quiet on me. That's okay. All right. So from my notes, beware of negative self-talk and reliving hurtful life experiences. Why? Because whether you understand it or not, you're actually self-medicating through these anger-producing activities. Why would we sit there and relive what people did to us? Go hash back over it over and over and over and over again. Self-talk. You understand self-talk? You know? Well, I'm going to tell you what, they said that about me, but they don't ever have a chance to do that to me again. I'm just... And next thing you know, we've got ourselves stirred up. We're in knots. We're, but what we don't realize is that all of that self-induced pressure, it's creating neurological responses and releases in our body. But see, now, this is the thing, though. When we fall into that pattern, what's, what's the old saying? Um, one's not enough and a thousand's too many. No, one's too many, a thousand's not enough. I'll get it right here in a minute. In other words, that doesn't lead anywhere we want to go because it just requires more and more drama to try to get more and more uh, of, of that same sensation, more and more anger. I'll tell you when I first, where I first learned this, the Lord taught me this. Um, <clears throat> many years ago, the foundry asked me to explore the Genesis curriculum as a potential curriculum for use in, in the program there. And there are lots of curriculums out there that are good ones. I don't mean to act like they're not, but um, there's always, you know, something about a curriculum that I've, you know, it's like, nah, listen, there's some good stuff here, but there's some, you know, I'm not a fan of, hi, my name is, Johnny and I'm an addict, you know, that kind of stuff. And so anyway, but the one thing that really, I think, attracted me to Genesis was this aspect of it, that, that, that they understood this. And so watch this. Michael Dye, who wrote the Genesis process, he, he shared this story, and I think it's pretty interesting. He, he actually, and he doesn't anymore, but he would like live on site. He was the executive director of a residential recovery program, but he lived there, he and his wife. And um, there was a young man in their program that was a rageaholic and was really not um, participating at all in, in, in the recovery program. And so one day in a group, Michael decided to call him out because he knew this gentleman also struggled with, with a cocaine addiction. And he said, um, he said, hey, just a quick question. He said, how much cocaine would you have to do before someone could, you know, punch you in the mouth and you not feel it? He said, well, you know, it just had to be almost at the point of passing out. He had him, he set the hook because he knew this man had already been so angry. You realize that when I say anger is a powerful anesthetic, you can be so mad that somebody whops you in the side of the head with a beer mug. Now, you'll feel it later. But in the moment, 
you are numb from anger, from rage. Maybe I should have led with that so you could kind of maybe better connect with what I'm saying. Okay? It's, it's how these things affect us and how we, through negative self-talk, reliving hurtful life experiences, self-medicate with these anger-producing activities. All right, let's talk about some answers here, okay? Are you all right? You know, sometimes it's hard to talk about these things because I'm not trying to... Uh, can be sensitive. Amen? I mean, these things can be sensitive. These are things, real-life issues that people struggle with and deal with. But I, the truth's what sets us free. Amen? Amen? All right. So how about God's answer here? This is one of my favorites. Isaiah 26 and 3. And that's not Isaiah 26 and 3. But that is. Amen? So it says, you will keep him. You will keep him. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Capital Y. So this is the prophet speaking of God. And he says, God, you'll keep the man or woman in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because when our minds are stayed, that, to, be, to be stayed, we could think focused, fixed, where our, our minds are set. Setting the mind speaks of a deliberate, intentional action. We set our mind on the things of the Spirit. We set our mind on the things of God. We set our mind on what God said about these situations, right? Where those are the thoughts that we're allowing in our hearts and minds, the things that we think about, right? So what he's saying here is if we set our mind on the things of God, what's the result of this? Perfect peace. I don't know if anybody listening to me right now is interested in perfect peace, but he's telling you how to have and experience and enjoy perfect peace in your life. So once again, we see these powerful connections between your thoughts and your emotions. Here's another one. John chapter 15, verse 11. These things, this is Jesus speaking, written in red. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So what's, what, is, what is the point here? What is he saying? Jesus just got through explaining some important things to them. He just got through conveying some, some truth thoughts to them. He just got through you know, telling them things that his father had told him to tell them. And he says, by the way, I'm telling you these things. I'm telling you these things so that my joy can remain in you and your joy can be full to overflowing. So notice again, he's saying that emotions are being produced by our thoughts. And here are some things for you to think about that will cause you to have my joy in you and your joy to overflow. Now, let's look at this on a bigger scale, all right? Because anytime Jesus spoke, he was speaking something that his father told him to say. So when we say Jesus, anybody remember this from the class about the Word of God and the Word made flesh? For the Word of God to be Jesus, the Word made flesh, that means He was a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence. If you want to know what God thinks about something, look at the life of Jesus. Words, words communicate thoughts. So when Jesus speaks to us, He's telling us how God thinks. He's telling us what's in the mind of God. He's revealing to us, the, the, even in some cases, the intimate thoughts of God concerning life, concerning you, concerning your future, concerning His love for you. And because thoughts produce emotions, if you will learn to think God's thoughts, you can experience and enjoy His emotions. Jesus didn't say, I've given you these things so you can have joy. He says, I'm telling you how God thinks so you can have my joy in you. God's thoughts produce God's joy. 
God's thoughts produce not just peace, it produces God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Ah, oh, I done quit teaching, started preaching. This is important, right? Now, I want to make sure you understand that happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness depends upon favorable external circumstances. But joy is something that comes from inside you. So the word happiness comes from the word happenstance, which we don't really use happenstance anymore. We have instead uh, substituted the word for happenstance and we, we say circumstance. So a circumstance, you know, I'm facing all kinds of difficult, challenging, negative circumstances. What are you saying? Circumstances are things that stand around you in a circle. So things that are on the outside of you. So when we say happenstance, we're talking about uh, happiness, which is dependent upon favorable things standing around you. So in other words, if everything around you is going well, you're happy. But because happiness is based upon what stands around you in a circle, circumstances, if the circumstances are not favorable, then happiness tends to take a nosedive. But happiness and joy are not the same things. Because if we learn how to manage and become disciplined in our thinking, we can still have the joy of the Lord in the middle of all kinds of negative circumstances. Because joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Joy is dependent upon what's going on inside of you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How about this one? Proverbs 12 and 25. Proverbs 12 and 25. It says this. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I'm bold tonight, okay? I'm bold and I'm not afraid of offending anybody and I've got nothing but love for you and I'm just trying to help you, okay? But see, depression has become the common cold of mental illness. We, we, we live in a world where a lot of things are changing at a very, uh, uh, you know, fast pace. And one of the things that's changing is the number of people who are struggling with depression, Depression. And I am not, listen to me, I am not trying to be flippant about this. I understand that depression is real. And I understand that depression can be paralyzing. And depression can so forth and so on. All these other things, right? But we've got to recognize that there are answers for depression that go deeper than and are better than simply taking some pill that will turn off circuit breakers in our brain to enable us to cope with the otherwise debilitating effects of depression in our lives. Okay? Everybody hear me? I don't tell people to take medicine and I don't tell them not to take it. It's not my place. I'm not a doctor. Okay? I represent the one who came to set the captives free. I represent the one who came to give you beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. Amen? Are you hearing me? All right. So, and I'm here to explain to you his ways. 
And when God created you, he created you to live from the inside of yourself to the outside. He created you a three-dimensional being. You have an outward person and an inward person. And your inward person is comprised of the part of you that is soul and the part of you that is spirit. And so your inner person has an innermost person, innermost being. And your innermost being is your, is your spirit. And if you've been born again, your spirit has been made new and it's become one spirit with God's spirit. And He created you to live from the inside of yourself out. We'll talk about this again when we get to salvation and righteousness by faith. But one of the reasons that we see in Scripture why righteousness according to the law or by the law wouldn't work is because it was an outside-in approach. It was an outward standard of righteousness that we were, to, we were all trying to conform to. But we were not designed to live from the outside to the inside. We were created to live from the inside to the outside. This is why we can have joy when circumstances are not favorable because joy is something on the inside of you that Jesus said would flow like a river from your innermost being. Amen. So all of man's answers for... Um, well, I say... That's, that's an exaggeration. Let me get that correct. A lot of man's answers for things like depression, which depression is not physical. There's a part of you called your soul. You, your soul is a part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. It's your mind, it's your emotions, and it's your will. Remember, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Spoiler alert, number five, what is man? Man is a three-dimensional being, okay? That's coming up probably next week. We're not going to get there tonight, I don't think. But I'm telling you now so that you can understand what I'm saying. You are a spirit. That's your innermost being. You have a soul. That's the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. And, and you live in a body. Your mind and your brain work together, but they're not the same thing. And your emotions and your neurological system work together, but they're not the same thing. So depression is an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of the body. It affects the body, but it doesn't originate in the body. It originates in the soul. And so to try and take a pill, notice now, what are we doing? We're taking something from the outside of us, putting it on the inside of us, trying to fix something that only, it's not even material. It's immaterial. It's not matter. It's not physical. Amen. Or oh me, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get you to see something here. I'm not judging you. As far as I'm concerned, nobody, ever, nobody listening to me right now has ever taken any kind of, of, of psychotropic medication. I, I, I'm not judging you. Listen to me, please. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. But we know that those medications are some of the most unpredictable medications of, of the entire medicine spectrum. Okay? Because of the potential side effects that they have. Some may think I'm, I'm railing against this. I'm not railing against it. I want people to be helped. Listen to me. I want people to be helped. But I also want us to understand God's way of helping. What are, what are God's answers? What, what are God's permanent solutions to this? Okay. A dear friend of mine in high school, I mean, so active, his whole family active in the church, right? Woke up on Thanksgiving morning, couldn't find his mom. Found her a day and a half later, uh, committed suicide in a hotel in Pelham. Why? Well, she was feeling low and sad and depressed, holidays, this and that. So the doctor prescribed her some, some anti-depression medications. And on the bottle it says, 
you know, tell the people around you that these can one of the side effects is suicidal imaginations, ideations, whatever. Well, again, there's a gentleman right now. He's retired now, but dear friend of mine, he he got free and whole and struggled with addiction and and um, went through some hard things in his life and and uh, unbeknownst to anybody, right? He he went and got a prescription for some of those things. Tried to kill himself three times. Tried to kill himself three times. So again, listen to me, please. Listen to me. Because what those medications do, if you can think of like a, a circuit board in your brain, those medications are designed to try to, you know, pinpoint the one that is, is making you feel whatever negative feeling that you're... But it, it, it's very difficult to do that, okay? And so what winds up happening, instead of clicking off one, it's kind of like going like this. You know, I don't mean to make light of these things, but remember when Elf just pushed every button on the <laughs> elevator, right? You know. All right, so, so just hear me, please. Depression has a cause. According to the scriptures, it's anxiety in the heart. Anxious thoughts left unchecked lead to depression. Now, if you need to go and get medication to help you deal with your, your, your depression, then by all means, go and do that. I'm not, I'm not telling you don't do that. I'm not telling you you're a bad person if you do that. I'm not telling you you're not a good Christian if you do that. Lots of God's people are taking those medications. I'm just, but what I am trying to show you is that God, because see, the devil's just telling you, you're at the mercy of your emotions and you can't do anything about it and just whatever emotion, however you feel and whatever comes your way and some days you're going to be up, some days you're going to be down, some days you're going to be mad, some days you're going to be sad, some days you're going to be anxious, some, you know, and we just, we just never know. And, and man, I, this one right here, listen to me, please. Notice how the devil wants you to call it your depression. My depression, my anxiety. He's wanting you to claim it. He's wanting you to, he's wanting you to, to identify with it, right? And, and, and name it and call it yours. Now, I will. That bothers me right there. All right. Anxiety. Anxiety in the heart of man. How about this? This is what Jesus said now. This isn't Pastor Mark. You know, some... Sometimes you say, are you meaning to tell me? No, I'm not meaning to tell you. I'm telling you what. This isn't, I didn't say this. The head of the church who loved you so much, he was beaten almost to death, stripped naked, and nailed to a tree so that you could be free from depression. How about, how about this one right here from the, from the Old Testament, right? Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I heard somebody say it this way when I was very young, all right? I can't put the garment of praise on you, and you can't put it on me. If I'm going to put the garment of praise on, he said, put it on, right? Now, I could hold it out for you. <laughs> you know you know what I'm saying? Like if my wife's putting put on her coat, you know, and I hold it for her and help her get her arm in there, you know, being a gentleman and whatever. I can hold it out for you and help you get it on. But this goes back to our choices, Right? You've got to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The Bible says you have to speak. See, we all know self-talk. We all practice self-talk. How many times have we kicked ourselves while we're down? How many times have we talked about how, how sorry we are and how good for nothing we are and how we can't do anything right? See, when it comes to that kind of self-talk, the world thinks that's fine. 
But the Bible teaches us another kind of self-talk. It's when you talk to your own soul. And you say this. You say, soul, we're fixing to brag about God. We're fixing to make our boast in God. Notice now, we're talking about deliberate, intentional action. We're talking about what David did when he was at his darkest, lowest, saddest, most desperate moment. And, and the very men who have been there for him are, are now talking about killing him. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What did he do? Well, we see glimpses of that when he went and killed Goliath, right? Same God that delivered the lion into my hand. Same God that delivered the bear into him. What was happening to David in that moment? Anxiety was trying to get on him. Fear was trying to overwhelm him. Everybody's telling him, you can't kill that giant. He's a, you're just a little boy. And he's a man of war since he was a little boy. And, and you know, his left shoe weighs more than you. You know, I mean, just, I made that part up. And, and you know, and so, but notice what David did. This same David who was taught by God to speak to his own soul. Soul, we fixing to brag about God. Soul, soul we fixing to give thanks to God. What, what is he saying? He said, I'm not going to sit here and let all these thoughts of, of how sorry my life has turned out up until this point and how I'm so far behind where I thought I would be 20 years ago and, and I got people I graduated with that are multimillionaires and I don't even have a house yet. But, you know, all these thoughts that the devil just will bombard you with if you give place to them in your mind. But see, every one of those thoughts pulling you down just a little bit lower, making you feel just a little bit worse, the emotions that are coming from those thoughts. Praise God. All right. Are you hearing me? So what, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Let me get the right verse up here. I apologize if the verses have been out of whack tonight, but I, we'll get it figured out. So in verse Matthew 6, 31, Jesus says this, Therefore... Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? What shall we put on? Okay, that's the New King James Version. I like the New King James, as you've probably figured out by now. But something is lost in translation that we need to benefit from the King James Version. Listen to the same verse from the King James Version. Therefore, take Thank you. <laughs> Turn that away and look at it over here, okay? Therefore, take no false saying. So notice the difference here, okay? Do not worry saying. Here it says, take no fault saying. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith all shall we be clothed? The emphasis is take no thought. So if, if I was to offer this uh, remote control to the overhead projector, I, mean, I could offer it over here to Sister Hannah, but she don't have to take it. You see what he's saying here. He's not saying that you won't be offered anxious thoughts. And by the way, that's, that's the literal... <laughs> 
you say, well, why does one say take no thought saying and the other one says do not worry? Because the literal translation is do not take an anxious thought. That's the literal translation. Take no anxious thought. So what is he saying? Think about what's being implied here. Anxious thoughts are going to be offered to us in an abundant supply. Meaning what? Meaning we're going to have all kinds of opportunities to think about things that would create anxiety in our heart. Jesus is actually saying, can you believe he has the audacity to tell you and me that we don't have to accept those thoughts? We don't have to take anxious thoughts. See, we live, in a, we live in a world that says worry is just part of life. We, we live in a world, especially if you're a mother, that if you're not worried about your children, you're not doing your job. But that's all a lie from the enemy. How about this one in John 14, chapter 1? Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word let there, if I need to remind you, it means allow. Jesus is saying to you and me, hey, do not allow your heart to be troubled. If Jesus is telling us to not allow our heart to be troubled, again, that tells me I am not a victim of my emotions. I am not uh, at the mercy of, of anxious, troubling, anger-producing, stress-producing thoughts. I can refuse to think about things that, that stir me up in a negative way. And by the way, Jesus would have never told you to do this if it was impossible to do. I've had a lot of people, that's impossible. <laughs> well, you need to tell Jesus that because he evidently believes that you can do it. Because he, he didn't just suggest, he, this is a command. Do not let, do not allow your heart to be troubled. So think about it for a moment. Dominant negative emotions are the result of wrong and negative thinking. Amen or oh me. Dominant negative emotions are the result of wrong and negative thinking. Now listen to me please. I'm here to do it gently. I'm here to do it in love. I'm here to do it because I'm your friend. I'm here to do it with a servant's heart. I'm here to help you and be a blessing to you. Okay, but let me tell you what else I'm here to do. I am here, I am here to pry the excuses out of your hands. Amen. Okay? Because let me tell you what excuses are if you haven't heard me say this already, okay? Excuses are nothing more than lies in disguise. They are lies in disguise. And if we're going to be free, we've got to know the truth. Amen? Amen. So dominant negative emotions are the result of wrong and negative thinking. And if you refuse, if you refuse to manage your thinking, you will never manage your emotions okay if you refuse to manage your thinking you will never manage your emotions and here's one last little thing on this you ready say you won't but never again say you can't do you understand what that statement means right there say you won't Refuse to do it if you choose. That's your choice. 
but you're not being honest according to the word of God if you say you can't. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. I got, I don't know if I got a third of the way through this class. You remember when I told you when we started this section that we could spend the rest of our time on this? Yeah. There's just a lot here. Amen. And I just need to get settled in. I think I finally am. So you get settled in. that We're going to go with it. The Holy Spirit's helping us. We've asked Him to help us. We trust Him to help us. Amen. There's just there's so many things beyond this that, that I'm, I'm wanting us to get to. And, and I, I know some folks enjoy hearing this kind of stuff. Some folks get a little ruffled about it. Okay. But remember now, we're talking about growing up. Amen. Yes. We're talking about growing up. We're, we're, we're talking about... You know, understanding what our part is in all of this and how to do it. And then with the Lord's help, committing ourselves to it. Okay. And one thing that, especially if, if you struggle with dominant negative emotions in your life. When, when you start experiencing those negative emotions, you need to stop. Even if you have to get out a piece of paper you need to spend a minute or two really asking the Holy Spirit to show you what it is that you've been thinking about. Because when you see for yourself the connection between the things that you think and the way that you feel, I would even say do it the same, right? When, when everything's, you know, you're feeling great and emotionally up or whatever that looks like, peace and joy in your life, what's been going on with you? What have you been thinking about? What have you been studying? What have you been listening to? Who have you been listening to? Have you been self-talking the goodness of God? Have you been self-talking all the times He bailed you out of a jam? Have you been self-talking the, the chance after chance after chance that He's given to you? How patient He is with you? How merciful He's been to you? How kind He is to you? How good He's been to you? That you've lived to tell? Amen? Are you self-talking all that? Or are you talking about how, you know, this and that, can't catch a break? Blah. Again, pay attention to, to what you've been thinking about um, when you're experiencing those emotions. Now, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. This actually may be in tonight's sermon here at Heritage, but it's in my notes anyway, both places. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments... And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen. See, we, no wonder we think we're at the mercy of our emotions because we don't even think we can control our thoughts, that we don't have any say-so in what we think about. And yet we do, right? We do. Thoughts produce emotions. Emotions influence choices. Choices are so important because life is choice-driven, right? Amen. You get anything out of this tonight? Yes. All right. I'll leave you with one last question if you want it, okay? <laughs> it's, this, it's similar to the one we asked earlier about who chooses uh, what you treasure. Who chooses what you think about? You do, right? You do. The devil never wants you to take responsibility. He never wants you to take ownership. This, again, is why the Bible teaches us. Do you understand what I mean when I say a deliberate, intentional act? Yes. We leave too much to chance. We leave too many things random and vague. 
We leave too many things up to whatever is going on in the moment in our lives. But we can take control. Say, I can't do this for you. I can help you. You can't do it for me. But you can help me, right? But ultimately, if, if I want to lay around and be miserable and think about negative things and what didn't work out for me and what didn't go right for me and this person did this to me and this person rejected me and this person abandoned me and this person left me high and dry and I trusted this person and they broke my... Well, again, amen. Father, you're good to us. We've talked about some sensitive things tonight, sir, but I know that you're helping us. I know that you love us. I know, Father God, that you've got good things for us. Father, I thank you that you're equipping us to, of course, Father, with your help, take control of the things that we think about and the emotions that those thoughts produce so that we are in a much better position to make the choices that you would have for us to make, to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we rejoice in knowing that you're not holding us back. You're not, you're not preventing us from living up to our full potential, Lord, and and. Father, it's, it's, it's our own affections, and that can be a sobering thing to face and deal with, but Lord, I thank you that you're helping us face it and deal with it and apply it in the necessary and correct way to our lives, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, know that you're loved tonight. Know that um, you're appreciated. Amen. And we will see you uh, soon. Praise God.